The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good afternoon or morning, depending on where you are. This is Judy Wilkinson, president of Library Users of America. This is the second of our two back-to-back sessions on artificial intelligence. This one is called Artificial Intelligence and the Big Boys. And uh, I want to welcome a couple of the biggest boys of all, mentally speaking, Brian Charlson, who will be our main presenter today. Hello, Brian. Hey there. It's going to be, (laughs) I hope. And Paul Edwards, who's on the panelist side. Hello, Paul. Hey, Judy. And it's great to have everybody with us. Remember, anybody who has signed up as a Lua uh, donor for the $10 to to be with us as a Lua person, not your membership dues, but to join the convention, will be eligible for one of three door prizes. And I'm going to just turn things over to Brian. Take it away, Brian. Thank you both. None of those voices were generated by AI. I want to be very clear about that. It's going to become harder and harder and harder in our lives to tell the difference between real-time activity and AI-generated activity. So when I titled this The the Four Big Boys, I was thinking of four particular corporations, but by no means are they the only players in the what they call the AI space. I just wanted to introduce myself to those who weren't here in the previous session. Uh, Brian Charlson, Watertown, Massachusetts, longtime ACB member uh, and served in many different capacities in ACB, not the least of which was served as Information Access Committee chair for a number of years and continue to serve on that as a general member. I professionally have been working in the field of access technology for my entire adult life. 34 years at a place called the Carroll Center for the Blind and Adult Not-for-Profit Rehabilitation Agency, where I was the head of technology, either training myself or managing others' training, the use of your typical Braille screen magnification and audio interfaces with technology, as well as doing some website evaluation and product development activities. So that's what brought me to this. That is an interest in technology, but also an interest in technology that would be of value to me. I retired about four years ago and decided I no longer had to have my equipment all set up for the benefit of others, but could set it up for the benefit of moi, me. So I started exploring things and AI was quick up. And then suddenly it hit the media, this whole idea of AI, with the advent of ChatGPT, which was the first uh, really publicly understood and utilized AI out there, utilizing something called large language models. And we'll get into that a little bit as we go ahead. So when I say the big boys, I'm thinking of four primary corporations. Google, no surprise there. Microsoft, no surprise there. Apple, again, no surprise there. And Amazon, 
and maybe a little surprise there, although anybody who uses the Lady A device probably should know that there's some AI behind all of that. But I'm going to be talking about these companies and their activities in a broader sense than just about the blindness side of things, though the two are kind of inseparable. First off, let's deal with the joys of Google, okay? Uh, people come to Google to find information. We are increasingly use AI to scale up the number of languages we can offer. We recently added nine new Indian languages, Assamese, Bhojpuri, Konkani, etc. Now we are working on one powerful AI model, which can you know, bring information across thousand languages. So all that we can use to make sure it's available to more people. But over time, I think the biggest change uh, is, you know, as humans, we look at the world around us, we listen to what's happening, you see with your eyes, and then that's how you consume information. So being able to bring all that, we call this multimodal, bring that view when you ask a question to Google and then get that rich answer back is what I think AI will end up playing a role. Whether you're showing an image or you look at something and say, tell me about this. We want to bring all that as experiences to our users. And I think AI will end up playing a powerful role and I'm very excited about it. There you're hearing from the CEO of Google. When you think Google, the first thing that comes to mind is it's a search engine, right? You're out there searching for information and it goes out there and tries to find it at the best of its ability. Uh, there are different aspects from a commercial point of view as to what you're shown. Typically you're shown things where people paid extra to have their show up at the top of your search. And there are things that are embedded throughout the process that generate revenue for Google by the fact that you're using Google and therefore, you had what they call eyes on some advertising that might be boldly straightforward or kind of hidden in the background, but still part of the game. Nonetheless, Google's all about searching. And we've been thinking of searching as searching for things we type in a search box. But as you can hear here, they're interested in multi multimodal. So they want you to be able to give it a sound bite and have it search based on that sound bite. It might be music, and I, I use, still use Shazam uh, when I'm in a restaurant and can't remember the name of the song playing over the over this PA system in the restaurant. I'll use Shazam to remind me what the song is and and who uh, the performer was. So that's an, a way of doing a search based on an audio clip. You can do the same kind of search in this environment on a photograph. You can say, I want to find other photographs of this person, or I want to find other photographs in this time and place. That is doable with what Google is doing with AI and only doable with AI. It's not that every photograph has metadata attached to it, saying where it was done, when it was done, who did it, um, what it is a picture of. Is it black and white or is it color? Is it this? Is it that? All of those kind of things are what are typically put into metadata when a picture has metadata. Most of them do not. With AI, they actually take a look at that picture itself and deconstruct it saying hmm first thing does this have pixels of different colors yes no okay so it's color 
Now, where are there, if you will, patches of these colors? And do they create a recognizable shape? And this whole process continues on as it looks at that photograph that you presented it as a starting point for the search. And we'll do likewise with all of the photographs that it is it, it has access to in the public space of the internet. So keep in mind that Google's big thing is search. Now they're going to include in that search other things. For example, imagine now that you have Google up there and you're going to ask Google to do something more elaborate for you. Let's say you want to ask Google to make you a haircut appointment on Tuesday between 10 and noon. What happens is the Google Assistant makes the call seamlessly in the background for you. So what you're gonna hear is the Google Assistant actually calling a real salon to schedule the appointment for you. Let's listen. How can I help you? Hi, I'm calling to book a women's haircut for a client. Um, I'm looking for something on May 3rd. Sure, give me one second. Mm -hmm. Sure, what time are you looking for, Well, At 12 p.m. We do not have a 12 p.m. available. The closest we have to that is a 1.15. Do you have anything between 10 a.m. and uh, 12 p.m.? Depending on what service she would like, what service is she looking for? Just a woman's haircut for now. Okay, we have a 10 o'clock. 10 a.m. is fine. Okay, what's her first name? The first name is Lisa. Okay, perfect. So I will see Lisa at 10 o'clock on May 3rd. Okay, great. Thanks. Great. Have a great day. Bye. I don't know about you, but I find that mind-blowing. That through the collection of information, <clears throat> they've generated a separate if you will, administrative assistant who can make calls for you and interact with the person at the other end to fulfill your requirements. And they would turn around and add that to your calendar for you. This simply wasn't possible until AI became of age. These kinds of things are now possible. Does it mean that you can go there tonight and book an appointment for tomorrow? No. These kinds of things are actually showing you test examples of what could be done and in the test lab have been done, but we're yet we've yet to hear much about the actual product being deployed. Does anybody have any comments you'd like to make up to this point? Go ahead and raise your hand, and I'll ask Jeanette to open to the first person who raises their hand. Uh, Christy, I'm very surprised at the humanness of the voice, and I found I found myself um, wondering which one was the, was the bot. Exactly. Thank you notice you. how they inserted things like a mm-hmm instead of a yes, no. Uh, that natural pause as if it's a true conversation taking place. Uh, being able to respond to a question like, it can't be done when you asked. 
Did it stop it? No. It dropped back to that 10 to noon time slot scenario. And it was prepared to say what the nature of the appointment was going to be. It was prepared to indicate acceptance of the offer. And it was capable of telling the name of the person who the appointment was going to be for. That is an amazing set of things it's doing. Keeping in mind, it doesn't understand a thing that it's doing. It's just anticipating through an incredible amount of experience when it looked at all of the data that's been, avail been fed to it, it was trained on to do this kind of thing. All right, I'm, because I've got so much to cover, I've got to move on to the next thing. But I want you to be a bit wowed by what you're hearing up to this point. Now, I said the second big boy in the group was Microsoft. And here's a, a clip that describes a bit about what's up with Microsoft. You know, I would say, you know, we're still waiting for the Industrial Revolution to reach some large parts of the world 250 years after. The internet maybe took 30 years. Uh, maybe the cloud and mobile took 15 years. And now I think we're talking months, which to me, I think is perhaps the benefit. We shouldn't take something like AI safety yeah. as a core consideration right you know, at the design time. Chat GPT moment has, I think, captured people's yeah. imagination. But we started the work with OpenAI, I would say, three and a half years ago, uh, when we started building the AI supercomputer in Azure to train these large models. When you look at GPT-3 to 3.5 to what's coming, these are non-linear developments. So they're showing emergent capability. But the fact is that these things by themselves are becoming platforms that I think truly can make a difference. So like I said a little while ago, and by the way, that was the CEO of Microsoft speaking to an interviewer. This is not a new phenomenon. It's a growing phenomenon. And like almost everything in our world, it's each day it's growing faster than the day before. So there's a lot of concern about uh, runaway AI that is going to get past our ability to harness it, to put it uh, behind safety rails and that kind of stuff. And we will certainly discuss that over time here. What I wanted you to get from this clip is to hear the enthusiasm now of both CEOs. These are not themselves programmers. They're corporate presidents that are making these kinds of statements. Uh, and they certainly do understand where their companies out and doing things, and they're supposed to be looking at the big picture issues. But you can see that both of them look at the product that they provide as being a platform for others to build on. And we'll see that more throughout uh, the presentation. Does anybody have a comment about what uh, the CEO of Microsoft had to say about all of this? If so, please raise your hand. Deborah Armstrong. Uh, my comment's pretty brief. I'm a, a student of history. And, um, you know, when trains first came out back two centuries ago, people really worried about the safety of trains. And I think if you study history, you realize that every new technology, automobiles, worried about their safety too. And in fact, early trains and early automobiles and early steamships 
we're not very safe. Look at what's happening right now with that horrible submarine accident. That wasn't very safe after all, after so many dives down to the Titanic. So we are going to see some backlash about the safety as the Microsoft CEO talks about. And it is going to become safe eventually, just like everything else. Safety of all of this ought to be a serious concern. One of the differences, again, is this rapidity of change, how quickly things are happening. It's not, uh, you know, like, like he was talking about um, this whole idea of, you know, there's parts of this globe that the industrial revolution hasn't touched yet. But the next change happened more recently than that. And the next one after that, more recently than that. And uh, this whole idea of what's called Moore's Law, where everything doubles um, every year. And now it's getting to where things are doubling every day kind of thing. So it's really a matter of how do we protect ourselves from the unintended consequences of this kind of thing when our reaction time is much slower than the development time for creating these things, for good or ill. Now, let's talk, of course, when you think Microsoft, you think Microsoft Office, right? Word, Excel, PowerPoint, etc. Well, Microsoft isn't just offering their efforts up as a platform for others, but they're incorporating AI into their product line as well. Introducing Microsoft 365 Copilot, your copilot for work. Copilot combines the power of large language models with your data in the Microsoft Graph and the Microsoft 365 apps to turn your words into the most powerful productivity tool on the planet. It's coming to life in the products millions of people use and rely on every day. Let's see how Copilot can use your customer notes in OneNote as well as another internal document. Copilot quickly creates a first draft. You can turn your Word document into a PowerPoint presentation that you can hone and polish. Let's jump into Copilot in Excel. You start by asking Copilot to analyze the data and give you three key trends. Within seconds, you've got what you need. Triage your inbox, highlighting the most important emails to prioritize. You can draft a reply using data from an Excel file and Copilot will generate a reply for you. The real magic of Copilot happens during a live meeting. You can ask Copilot to summarize what's happened so far. You can see who said what, what points were made. You can follow a meeting and catch up to see what you missed, even if you can't attend. I want to show you an entirely new standalone experience. Business chat works across all your emails, files, meetings, chats, documents, calendar, and more to turn all your data into knowledge. Now let's imagine you're working on your business strategy. You ask Copilot to pull up quarterly projections and identify related risks. Copilot gives you key data points and flags potential issues. 
We're deeply committed to listening, learning, and adapting with speed to help create a brighter future of work for everyone with AI. Co-pilot. Hmm. Well, clearly this, this little clip was meant for corporate America, not, not all that often for you and I. But if you use Office 365, which I do, these things are built in to each of the apps and cross-connected in such a way that you can move things from a Word document to a PowerPoint presentation to an Excel spreadsheet. Uh, if you're engaged in a Teams meeting, very much like Zoom, but Microsoft product, then it can recognize and transcribe the audio of your meeting, combine it with anything that was shared during the meeting, combine that all into a bit of data, and then summarize it for you. Pretty amazing. It takes a lot of time off the backs of some folks. Uh, but at the same time, the two words that I was the most interested in was this uh description of taking that PowerPoint presentation creation by AI and honing it and polishing it into something the end user wanted. It's giving you the equivalent of draft that you have the responsibility for turning into exactly what you want. It's not taking you completely over the bridge you need to be involved in getting it from what it thought you might want to what you actually want. Any comments up to this point? Raise your hand. Todd. Yeah, this is really amazing. You know, all of this stuff, I never, I never even heard of Copilot until, uh, until today. That, that's really amazing stuff. And you got to remember, it's, you know, I'm not too worried about AI, you know, um, AI safety and stuff because it's not it, it, it's not the technology itself that's bad. It's how the technology is used that makes it good or bad. So, you know, I'm not too concerned about things like uh, AI safety or what because it's how a person uses it. That's what counts. You know? Gotcha. Well, it, doesn't that sound familiar to the old thing that? Guns don't kill people, people kill people. Um, there's a point at which there probably will be some kind of societal checks and balances on how some of this can be used. The question is, can society react fast enough to keep some of the bad players, if you will, out of the mix. Not, not an easy thing to do. How fast is Congress currently passing any law or regulation? Slow. And this stuff has changed so dramatically that this presentation I'm giving, I've had to redo four times in four weeks because the facts have changed each wow. of those weeks. It's just happening so rapidly. Okay, moving on. Now, some of this is something you can utilize today, assuming you're using Live 365. Why does it have to be Live 365? Because that you're using while online. 
so it can access the AI that isn't on your computer. It's on the internet and dovetailed into your activities. Here's an example of how AI can be used in Word. Here I am in Microsoft Word, and I'm currently on the Home tab. Over on the right-hand side on the ribbon, there's a category called Voice. And here we have one option called Dictate, and then there's another one called Transcribe. So what's the difference in which one should you use? With the Dictate, this will give you a real-time transcript of everything that you're saying. Here, I'll turn that off. On the other hand, with Transcribe, you can take existing audio or you can record audio, and then at the end, it'll convert that into a transcript. So this is perfect for things like taking a lecture or maybe an interview and then getting all of the text from that session. Let's click into Transcribe. This opens the Transcribe pane over on the right-hand side. And here you have a drop-down list where you can choose your language. There are over 80 different languages that you can choose from. Chances are you'll find your language here. Down below, you have two different options. You can upload existing audio. Maybe you recorded some audio externally and now you want to bring that into Word. Right up above, you can see all of the different supported formats. And although it says upload audio, you can also upload a video file. Here we have MP4 and it'll pull out the audio and then transcribe that. To the right of that, you also have the option to just start recording. You can use Microsoft Word to record your audio, and then at the very end, it'll transcribe it. So let's test that out by clicking on Start Recording. Are you feeling hungry? Do you crave something sweet and crunchy? Then you need to try the Kevin Cookie Company. They make the best cookies in the world with fresh ingredients and mouth-watering flavors. I could click on this icon right down here, and this will pause the recording. I can compose my thoughts and maybe take a break. And once I'm ready to resume, I'll simply click on this again. And the best part is you can order them online and get them delivered to your door in no time at thekevincookiecompany.com. I think I'm all done now. Right down below, I'll click on save and transcribe now. It'll now take that audio file and upload it to OneDrive. And once it's done uploading it, it'll then transcribe the file. And check that out. I now have a transcript of everything that was said. Boy, would my life be different had that been there all of my uh, adult life. I probably would have written so many things because I feel myself to be a much better public speaker than I am a document creator or writer. What do you think of that experience? Is that something you could take advantage of today had you used the Microsoft 365 version of Word? Any hands? Stu Ellen. OMG, that would be awesome for someone like me who has never been strong with punctuation. But if I could dictate things more easily, I might be able to write more effectively. That would just be so awesome. Yeah, I have to say that my spelling skills are only surpassed by my ability well my spelling skills are terrible that's what it really amounts to so if it weren't for spell check i'd have no check at all and the same thing is true when it comes to i know when something sounds right but i couldn't diagram a sentence if my life depended on it 
and I think this would help for anybody who struggles, or not just struggles, who this is simply a more comfortable way for them to get thought to document. I almost said paper, but you know we're talking electronic here. Nonetheless, I, I really think that this shows some of the everyday practical ways. While that original clip showed you bouncing around and doing all kinds of corporate kind of things, this is an everyday example of what is possible using AI uh, in Microsoft products. Now we're going to pick on another company, a little one you might be familiar with called Apple. And what have you been hearing lately about Apple? You've been hearing about a device called Vision Pro, a wearable computer that looks somewhat like a pair of goggles, but has on its exterior cameras facing forward, backward, down, and to the sides. That's a lot of cameras. Also cameras on the inside, looking at your eye movement and positioning. It has sound uh, microphones on the outside, and it has speakers on the inside. Uh, it has its own light source, and it's all connected up to the internet to take advantage of AI. This particular product is really being marketed right now to developers to develop programs to run on it. Uh, and I would also add that um, when you hear this demo, that the demos are currently pretty visual, but they do mention in this about the quality of the audio. Let's listen. Introducing Apple Vision Pro. The era of spatial computing is here. When you put on Apple Vision Pro, you see your world and everything in it. Your favorite apps live right in front of you, but now they're in your space. This is Vision OS, Apple's first ever spatial operating system. It's familiar yet groundbreaking. You navigate with your eyes. Simply tap to select, flick to scroll, and use your voice to dictate. It's like magic. Apps have dimension, react to light, and cast shadows. Even though these spatial experiences are happening inside Vision Pro, it looks, sounds, and feels like they are physically there. Hey. Foundational to Apple Vision Pro is that you're not isolated from other people. When someone else is in the room, you can see them and they can see you. Because you're not limited by a display, apps live in your space. Your photos can be life-size or any size. So your living room becomes a gallery. 
and panoramas wrap around you as if you're right where you took them. Apple Vision Pro is Apple's first ever 3D camera. Now you can capture photos and videos with remarkable depth and relive a memory as if you're right back in the exact moment. Experiences on Vision Pro can also expand in three dimensions, filling the entirety of your space. Like in the mindfulness app, where you can create a moment of calm. Apple Vision Pro brings the scale and wonder of a movie theater to whatever space you're in. It automatically darkens and casts a beautiful glow into the room. And you can make the screen as big as you want. Spatial audio surrounds you and makes you feel like you're a part of the action. And for an extraordinary cinematic experience, you can bring in a beautiful environment and make your screen feel 100 feet wide. Vision Pro is a wonderful way to play your favorite themes. Curry against Smart. Just connect your controller and play on a massive screen with incredible audio. With Apple Vision Pro, you can create the perfect workspace, no matter where you are. The web comes to life at fantastic scale. Text is crisp and easy to read. Browsing the internet feels new. And Safari expands so you can see all your open tabs. Your favorite apps from Apple and the App Store are there. You can arrange them however you like and work seamlessly across them. Hi. Hey. Hi. Should we see the deck? Yeah, I'm looking at it now. Oh, great. Oh, what is pink? FaceTime looks and sounds amazing in Apple Vision Pro. We don't have enough time to go through the entire example, but I think you started to see some of the potential of this device. If you are a low vision person and you've used several different low vision devices and are excited about them, the latest, you know, being the whole OrCam kind of experience, but you put this on your head slash face and suddenly the closed circuit television is yours to command either verbally or as with OrCam, you put your hand in a place where the camera can see it. And remember, there's cameras all over the place, so you don't have to put it in front of your face. You can have it down at waist high and it will still see it and do gestures such as tapping your fingers together to do click and select um, or scroll or make it pinch, pinch it to make it smaller or expand pinch to make it bigger. All of those kinds of things as a low vision person, as a sound oriented person, you can use the same thing to feel like you're in 3D space. 
one of our biggest problems in rehab is there's insufficient orientation and mobility instructors available out there to do more than show us how to do something. For us to practice it safely, imagine an O&M app that allows you to hear yourself in 3D standing at a street corner deciding when it's safe to cross and being able to practice that move under a wide variety of circumstances to get you more and more comfortable with what it will be like when you're actually on that street corner. These are just a couple of examples I've come up with of how to use this. Yes, I intend to use one someday for entertainment. Two big hurdles here. One, they're going to be available the first quarter of 2024. Two, they're $3,500 a piece. So this is not for the financially faint of heart. And as with almost any new item, it will take a little bit of time before third-party developers develop apps to that take full advantage of what it's capable of. One of the things that's amazing about uh, this new yeah. component is that uh, is that it actually um, is is I think really at the beginning of its development phase. I don't think we'll know for five or ten years just what just what this new product can do. Yeah, at first I thought, well, what's in it for you know totally blind folks or people that aren't low vision? I can see how wonderful it would be for people with low vision. But I, given some further thought in Brian's last comments, I realized the immense potential that uh, this can have down the line. And as yeah. you say, Paul, right. this is early days. Yeah, I was just talking about O&M, but remote instruction is part of what I think the future solution of access to quality training in a rural environment. So you can't get a a Braille certified teacher in Hoboken or wherever, fine. You 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 and they both put on a this headset and you communicate and they see what your hands are doing. The teacher sees what your hands are doing. The uh, person may be using hard copy Braille or refreshable Braille to do their learning. And if it's refreshable Braille, it can be linked up to this so that the teacher can send the data to the refreshable Braille device that they want the student to read. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities. It really is one of those things where you have to keep in mind the, the, the value of imagination. Uh, I'm just really enthusiastic. And I think the time frame that Paul has... Uh, isn't real, to be honest with you. Um, It'll be shorter. It will be dramatically shorter, just dramatically shorter. Now, the problem is that we have to stay informed to even know these things are happening. I bet you more than two-thirds of the people listening here this afternoon had no idea some of these things were happening because there's so much happening in our world and we get everything in a five-second soundbite that we never get all of the story. We get just a very tiny tip of the iceberg of a story to even understand what its potentials are. 
Anyway, um, are there anybody out there, hands raised, that want to make a comment about what we've seen here with Vision Pro, which I think is a terrible name for it, by the Kathy, way. Casey. All righty. Um, the comment I have was on the previous segment with regard to typing documents and having them translated and all that. That I can see a very potential for me and anyone else who has difficulty with uh, hand dexterity or numbness in the hand to be able to dictate a document and have it come out, you know, edited and all that good stuff. I agree with you entirely. You know, the big things, well, I always said that in technology, three things are happening. One is things are getting faster. Two is, in spite of this last example, things are getting cheaper. And the third thing is things are getting smaller. And the smaller they get, the less valuable a keyboard is. Simply fact. One of the benefits, I think, for example, of a Braille keyboard is the number of keys, as opposed to a QWERTY keyboard. Uh, which allows us to shrink it to a much smaller and still very usable size. So, yes, I think voice dictation is going to be uh, a huge value to us. But it's also going to be because voice dictation up to this point has been okay, but formatting has been a problem. But AI deals with a lot of those formatting problems. You can say... Now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country, and it will punctuate it for you. You can say on another point, and it will automatically assume you've just changed paragraphs because it sees it in context. And that is that has not been really doable up to this point. I do dictate and say next line and next paragraph uh, and those kinds of things, but it will be able to interpret by how you dictated it in the first place. Okay, uh, I think I can take one more question. Hi, thank you. Brian, Steve Mendelson here. Thank you. Uh, your presentation has certainly inspired all of us. Uh, but uh, at the risk of pouring a little cold water or asking for a little bit different balance, I would note that all the clips that you presented us with today are from companies who have a strong financial interest in having AI use the way they, the way they want to use. I am getting there because oh. that, to me, I, I felt the same way about access technology. How many corporations held us hostage to this whole idea that, well, since we're such a small group of people, that explains why our technology has to be so expensive. And then what happened? Um, let's see, a little little company decided that they could give us a refreshable Braille display for $500. So I think that we need to be very concerned. And that's why I mentioned in my title, the big boys, because they've got more control over this than you and I do, and for that matter, than our government does. Um, and I'll, I'll talk a bit a bit later about the hardware involved in this, because that's what's behind the curtain. It's what what's behind the curtain that really is going to cause us to need to pay attention on a regular 
constant basis. So I don't disagree with you at all, Steve. Not at all. All right, moving on. Now, there are a number of AI voice cloning tools currently on the market, but for this video, I'm going to use 11 Labs. I'll walk you through the process, and then we can talk about possible use cases. It's always a good idea to look at the terms of service of voice cloning software. In this case, 11 Labs does not claim any rights to the files you upload. The first thing you need to do is create an account and sign in. 11 Labs offers a limited free account for hobbyists and paid tiers for creators and enterprises. There's a link to 11 Labs in the description of this video. I'm using the starter account, which allows me to create up to 10 custom voices with 30,000 characters per month. Once you're signed in, go to the Voice Lab, and from here you can add a generative AI voice or clone a voice. Click on the plus sign, and you now have four choices, one of which is not yet available. Voice Design allows you to generate a generic AI voice using a few simple parameters like male or female, young, middle-aged, or old, and you can tweak the accent. Click generate and you have a voice clone to read scripts or say whatever you want it to say. First, we thought the PC was a calculator. Then we found out how to turn numbers into letters and we thought it was a typewriter. Option two is instant voice cloning, which will clone your own voice with some prompting. First, give your voice a name to easily identify it and then upload a clean recording of your voice, preferably a little over a minute in length. There can be no background noise and the audio file needs to be under 10 megabytes. You can upload more than one sample to help the AI analyze and interpret your speaking style. Once uploaded, you can add up to five labels, such as American or your accent, to help improve the AI's interpretation of your voice. Next, you can write a prompt description of your voice for the AI. Eleven Labs shows an example of a description with an old American male voice with a slight hoarseness in his throat. And finally, you need to confirm that you have all the necessary rights and consent to use the voice you are generating. Click Add Voice and your AI voice will appear next to the other custom voices you have created with the option to use, edit, or remove the saved voice. Click on Use and you will now be in the speech synthesis window. Click Generate and the AI will read your text back to you in the voice style you prompted. Hello, this is Stephen Beecham's AI voice clone. I may sound like Stephen, but I am definitely not him. I'm something a lot stranger. Pretty crazy, huh? Here you have settings where you can choose an AI voice from the voices you've created or the pre-made voices provided by Eleven Labs. Somebody had asked about Eleven Labs earlier. So while I talk about Amazon and Apple and Microsoft and Google, there are other players here. I ended up um, looking at who owns who, whom? Help me out here, Judy. Uh, but the, the fact of the matter is that we hear these four big names, but there are other sub names involved that have big impact on this. Eleven Labs is the entity that did the most in the area of voice cloning. Now, before you get all worked up and saying, oh, that's a terrible, terrible thing. The fact of the matter is that voice Cloning can offer something to you and I. For example, have you ever read a series um, on audio format or pardon me, a talking book of one form or another, and they changed narrators from one book in that series to the next? And you were so frustrated because they pronounced the names differently or something along those lines. Well, imagine if they could clone the voice of the first narration and apply it 
to subsequent books in that series. Or imagine for a moment that there's a, a narrator from the past. Let's say Scorby, for example. And you would like them to redo the Bible by Scorby. But with all the hiss and crackle and stuff of the days when that was all on records. So this is possible with very little samples. How long did he say the sample was? One minute. But you could give it multiple samples and it would be even better. There's a point, by the way, that you give it too many samples, it starts to implode on itself. So more is not always better in this regard. That's if you want to clone a single voice, uh, such as the voice that we heard during resolutions. That was a single actor having sat in a booth and said all kinds of things, and that was deconstructed and then put together as one of these uh, AI voices. But you can create a voice by taking aspects of many voices, put them together and come up with a unique voice. Doesn't sound exactly like any of the entities that contributed, I'm using that in big air quotes, contributed their voice print to the making of that uh, particular AI voice. So Eleven Labs has got all kinds of lawsuits lodged against it uh, based on where did they get the data to do these voice clones? And don't they have a responsibility to see to it that these voice clones that they created by looking and capturing publicly available audio of famous people, and then others use them to put words in the mouths of people that never said those things? There are many, many such things floating out there on the web right now that make it so that just because it sounds like it was said by, oh, I don't know, um, Stephen Colbert doesn't necessarily mean Stephen Colbert did it. There's a lot of audio recording you could use to create a very convincing Stephen Colbert uh, clone. So we're all going to have to learn to be a great deal more suspicious about whether or not this person actually said that. You know, they say seeing is believing, hearing is believing. The fact of the matter is, it really requires a lot of effort on our part not to fall into deception and believing things because they sounded true. We've got to do a lot more work to make sure we can tell the difference between those two. So certainly there are entities like uh, OpenAI, the makers of, of uh, ChatGPT, uh, Google, the makers of BARD, which is ChatGPT's uh, counterpart. They actually both started in the same place at the same time, but they split off. Um, then you also have uh, other aspects of all of this that play a part in things. Apple has bought literally hundreds of companies that are in this space, and they're combining those skills into their product line. 
Microsoft, guess what? It is, is doing the same thing. And Google, guess what? Is doing the same thing. Now, Amazon is a little different. They uh, have used AI in ways that we've grown to think of as just normal. Getting things delivered tomorrow. That's AI. Um, being able to deal with being the world's uh, mall is AI. All of those vendors, all of that drop shipping, all of that picking packages off a shelf in a giant warehouse and getting it to the right place at the right time to get to you, all of that is driven by AI. They've got their own platform called Bedrock, on which they not only do this for themselves, that is, manage things using AI, they also sell that service to other companies. Anybody here using, oh, let's say Netflix? That's actually done on, uh, I can't say the word, uh, the computers owned by that giant shipping company. Uh, when we talk about uh, publishing owned by or being provided by through a fee for service uh, to other companies constantly, constantly. So behind the curtain, these four big players uh, own and operate AI. I've got another thing I want to show you here before I run out of time. Ladies and gentlemen, Grace Hopper is now in full production. This is Grace Hopper. Nearly 200 billion transistors in this computer. This processor is really quite amazing. There are several characteristics about it. This is the world's first accelerated processor, accelerated computing processor that also has a giant memory. It has almost 600 gigabytes of memory that's coherent between the CPU and the GPU. And so the GPU can reference the memory, the CPU can reference, re reference the memory, and unnecessary any unnecessary copying back and forth could be avoided. The amazing amount of high-speed memory lets the GPU work on very, very large data sets. This is a computer. This is not a chip. Practically, the entire computer is on here. All of the low, this is, uh, uses low power DDR memory, just like your cell phone, except this has been optimized and designed for high resilience data center applications. So I want to unplug some of that jargon. This is the CEO of a company named NVIDIA. NVIDIA. Now, NVIDIA got its start in the world of gaming. They, however, in order to promote gaming, got into the hardware business and began creating computer chips that were specifically designed for gaming. You heard him mention not only CPU, the central processing unit we all have heard about, but a, a GPU. It is a graphics graphics processing unit. And of course, graphics are made out of 
billions and billions of pixels. So it needs a lot of memory, and you heard him mention a lot of memory, but it also needs to move that information from place to place extremely rapidly. So as we talk about, and you see on the news about major chip creators out there, You've been hearing about maybe Taiwan being the producer of 25% of the world's uh, chips. And uh, we had the law that was adopted by Congress and, and funded that gives incentives for companies to bring chip manufacturing here onto the shores of the United States. And that certainly is happening big time right now. But what you aren't hearing so much about is this kind of chip. And this kind of chip is expensive to create, as you can well imagine. It is expensive to run. You heard it say it's a low power thing. But for it to do what it does, it is placed in, um, just imagine a warehouse. And I'm not talking about a warehouse like down the street. We're talking like a warehouse the size of an Amazon. Cancel? Warehouse. And they have thousands of these connected up one to another to another with special gear between them, making it so that information can be transferred from any one of them to all of the rest of them at any time. So when we train one chip to do something and it tries it, by trial and error and comes up with an answer to the question on the hundred thousandth time it's tried, it then instantly can share what it's learned with the rest of the chips in that space. That space has required power stations to be built to give it enough power to do what it does. It needs to be kept super cold all the time because anytime you have things moving from place to place the end result is heat so it needs to be protected in that fashion so while you can use chat gpt free of charge in fact it's costing a lot more than what you were being charged it uh is only being done in this fashion because you're helping it learn. You know, we talk about being uh, guinea pigs or beta testers. Well, we're a massive beta test going on to gather information to help it be better at what it does. So the fact of the matter is that behind all these good things, there are two or three things we need to be careful about. One is putting all of this power into the hands of very few corporate players. Do you want to be so dependent on a product from Microsoft that you can't find employment unless you agree to provide them with biometric data about you. You know, you can choose not to do it, but are we really in a position where we can choose not to do it? Uh, would you want to be 
required to watch advertising, experience advertising based on your purchasing experience and not have a means of opting out unless you opt out of the whole experience of online shopping. Because it's in the hands of so few people, that is possible, absolutely possible. And to some degree, it's already happening. The other thing that I wanted to make sure that I left you all with here today, and this is not a downside, it's something you need to be thinking about to have an informed opinion. You know, they say everybody has the right to an opinion, but you know, the ones I want to listen to are the ones who have an informed opinion. So I'm going to talk to you about your need to have an informed opinion. Right now, does it matter to you that um, there are databases out there that include enough information about you to clone your voice, clone your appearance, clone your typical actions, take that data and create a whole new piece of content based on it, and then <clears throat> imitate you to extract money or other assets from other entities, like your bank. Bye. To some degree, we're talking buyer beware. Is there a dark side to all of this? There absolutely is. But if we keep on it and we make a real point of being not just passive consumers, but actively involved in what's being created, how it's being created, how it's being used, then uh, I have a, a lot of optimism for the future. The number one place where this can be dealt with is our government. Because believe you me, that ours is not the only government who's looking at all of this today. There are governments out there that are ahead of us in this space. There are governments, governments behind uh, some of the notorious things that have been happening, all utilizing AI. So we as citizens of this country need to make sure that we protect our country and the individuals who make up our citizenry. I hope that this we was- We want to thank you so much, Brian. And uh, want to remind folks to tune into our other two presentations coming up on Monday, July 3rd with the narrator, Talking Book Narrator, on Tuesday, July 4th with the NLS Deputy Director.